and welcome back to Half Sports Radio Season 5. This season we are talking about the circular economy, all things digital and technology. Today we're really excited to be joined by Dave McKernis, who leads the customer success team at Care, where he's responsible for delivering Care's brand experience across their regional air conditioning as a service portfolio. As an advocate for the circular economy and the product as a service business model, Dave regularly shares his experiences for those looking to transition to this disruptive business model. We had a great conversation um, where I learned just how fascinating air conditioning really is. Whether it's as a service or not, I feel like there's so much to talk about on this subject. But specifically, the product as a service business model seems like a core part of this circular economy. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I think it's really interesting that as you said, air conditioning is interesting, as if before this, the idea of having this conversation, that might not have been true. But also really interesting, but like you say, the thing that Dave describes really well is how the serviceization or this business model, product as a service business model, completely changes everything about, because the underlying mindset changes, it changes everything about the business, I think. Uh-huh. Another great example is, you know, his job role is customer success lead which is maybe not the sort of thing you would hear from a traditional air conditioning or, or, or old school business. So it's really cool. And the thing to tie it back to the circular yeah. economy, and I guess my personal interest, there's all these other benefits and the business goals and everything. But for me, the real core benefit of this business model is it aligns the customers, the buyer's needs, and the businesses, the vendor's needs, and in this case, definitely the goal of being more sustainable, energy efficient, less materials, and just generally better in every way. Yeah, he talks about that holding the core of this business model as sustainability, and how that really helps to frame everything else around that. That there isn't a separate arm of, okay, so let's also think about how we make this business sustainable. It's actually right in the middle of how their business is functioning, and that changes everything really it was really inspirational to hear about that actually Mm, i agree and so without any further ado let's meet dave hi everyone i'm dave mckernis and i'm the customer success lead at care we are an air conditioning firm based out of singapore that sells air conditioning as a service throughout the uh, asian region and welcome to the podcast, Dave. I'm really excited about this conversation because as a service or the serviceization part of circular economy is such a fundamental, I think, one of the fundamental approaches to genuine circularity. So I thought maybe we would start the conversation there and just get your thoughts on, I guess, exactly what you mean by air conditioning as a service and why care has reached that point and is doing it this way. Okay, sure. So Care's been in the air conditioning business for about 60 years, and we've transitioned from being a distributor of air conditioning products and equipment to a turnkey contractor. And we work in the the industrial space and commercial spaces, so we don't do residential air conditioning. And about six or seven years ago, we had the idea to move away from the traditional turnkey model where we were being asked to design and build systems for data centers and, and shopping malls and servitize air conditioning. And the reason that we did that is because, you know, our customers were buying something from us that they didn't actually want. They were buying air conditioning equipment and air conditioning assets, usually at pretty hefty prices, 
so that they could deliver environments to their customers and then they could run their business. So if you think of you know, a, a data center as an example, they need the climate and the cooling so they can run their data center. But actually, it's the comfort and the conditions that they're looking for. So what we did is we said, well, if, if they're looking to buy a, an environment or conditions, why don't we sell that? So we said, well, if we can sell air instead of selling equipment like chillers and cooling towers and, and all of that that goes into producing the air, that could be a good thing. So we, we kind of decided to learn from some of the software companies who had servitized their business. You know, we see it all around our personal lives when it comes to servitization of entertainment and transport. Almost everything has sort of been servitized now. And we said, let's do that in the air conditioning world. I think that's sort of where the idea came from. It was kind of led by the customer and the benefits of that model. But when you talk about circular economy, one of the key things that it did was it moved the burden of, of being efficient and being circular off of our customers and put it onto us as a vendor. And that's something that we are, I guess, much more able to, to manage because we're an air conditioning provider and it, it's sort of our core business. So it, it, it really helped to, to sort of move that burden across from, from them to us and sort of in, allowed us to think in a more circular fashion because we had a portfolio of, of buildings that we're looking after and really affect more change in terms of sustainability and, and the circular economy. Mm. That's really interesting, this idea of flipping the, the switch from the, in, in terms of responsibility, which I think I want to come back to, but just to clarify a little bit this idea of air conditioning as a service because the infrastructure that you mentioned the the systems still need to be in place in order to sell the air as you put it so what does it practically look like for a customer when they are interacting with you do they need to already have a a system in place and you kind of take it over or do you provide all those things and then they actually belong to you rather than the customer how does it work Yeah, so it works in two ways when you look at new construction versus existing buildings. So for new construction, what we would do is we would design, procure, install the entire air conditioning system throughout the building. We own all of those pieces of equipment in that system, and we pay for the electricity that it uses. We pay for the water that it uses. So essentially, all of the capex and opex that goes into running that system is care's responsibility. And then the building owner just buys air conditioning at a fixed fee or a pay-as-you-use model. If you're looking at an existing building, which actually is much more exciting for us because that's where we can make real gains in terms of sustainability and the circular economy, is what we would do is we go into a building with an existing system and we would buy the assets off the building owner. So let's say, for example, the all the chillers and cooling towers are on their books at $2 million, we would write them a check for $2 million and buy them off them. And then we would do the exact same thing. We'd be responsible for that equipment. We would pay for the electricity and the water that that equipment uses and then sell air conditioning as a service. So it is different, I think, from, from software in that way that you know there is infrastructure that's you know bricks and mortar infrastructure that's there, but you can treat it in the exact same way. And if you have a very sort of transparent contract with your customers where you can transfer these assets across from them to us, like I just shared, or even from us to them if they wanted to exit the contract. It's very easy to do that. And then you can you can really stay true to the principles of software as a service, which is the model we copied, I think. Mm. I think that's really interesting. As you say, the software as a service is the model, but in the physical world where you've got these big um, physical assets, it, it necessitates that change. But it really, I think it's really cool that you've got this 
the way you describe that model, it's like it's it's really clear and really simple. We buy the assets, the the, the machinery, and then we manage it and sell you the air. And basically, we could just end the episode there. That's the whole conversation, right? That's it's, it's sort of really <laughs> simple in concept. But coming back to the other thing that I think, or the sort of the first most powerful impact of this, in my opinion, is what you were touching on there when you said it's in, it sort of moves the responsibility. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means for you and care as a business and why that is interesting? So when you move that that business risk of, of running a, an air conditioning system away from, let's say, a, a real estate business and move it into an air conditioning firm, there's a couple of things that you can do with that. The first thing is that we have access to a, a massive data library. So we did we went back and tried to look at exactly how many bits of data that we have. And it's a number that I can't even say. It's sort of billions and billions and billions because it goes back about 25 years is when we started collecting data on air conditioning mm. systems. And it allows us to therefore build systems that are, are sort of smaller and more efficient compared to what people generally would build if they were using a, a rule of thumb design approach. So it allows us to sort of build less and build things that are more suitable. But also the business model allows us to remove the risk in building smaller. So what do I mean by that? As an example, if, if you were a, a shopping mall and you asked a consultant to design you an air conditioning system, you would have to overbuild and overdesign because there's all these assumptions that you would have to cater for. So the assumptions are things like, what if it's the hottest day that it's been in the last 20 years? Let's take that as a reference point. Let's assume our shopping mall is 100% occupied. Let's assume the heat load or the air conditioning requirements go up by 15 or 20% because we might expand the floor print a little bit. So we take all these assumptions into to place and then we design and build the system. Because we are now selling as a service, we can use data to build exactly what our customers are going to need. And if there is a requirement, let's say it does get hotter, let's say their occupancy does increase, let's say that they increase their, their uh, footprint, we can add or increase capacity as they go along. So it's kind of like if you were in the, in the, in the data world, you know, you buy the data you need to store now from, you know, any of the cloud-based service providers. And as your data increases, you pay more for the space that you use. So you can have the exact same feature and benefit in air conditioning. And so, I mean, if you look at air conditioning assets across Asia now, depending on what country you look at and what, what industry you're looking at, 50% of the assets that are there are not currently operating. They're standby or they're over-designed. So you can remove all of that and put that burden of, of sort of design onto us. And because the business model, you know, the more you use, the more you buy, it allows us to be able to do that without any risk at all for our customers or for us. But also when it comes to the efficiency side of things, because we have a price that we're giving our customers, if we can produce the same amount of air conditioning using less resources, and by that I mean less water, less electricity, and less manpower, then it allows us to increase our margins. So essentially what it's doing is it, it's aligning CARE's profit to our customers' sustainability goals because our customers want to have sustainable systems. So we can therefore invest huge amounts of money into software and technology that allow us to provide the same level of service or better levels of service at a lower cost. You know, this is where we're really excited about the model because we're not saying we're trying to be sustainable or we're trying to help the circular economy. We're saying that the business model almost dictates that you must take sustainability in the circular economy into consideration because it, it drives your bottom line. It drives your profit, which I think is really powerful. Mm, it is really powerful. I read somewhere on, I think it was on your website that you kind of described, 
you use the analogy of having a car and if you or I were to drive it then you know we could go anywhere and and kind of the car would function but if Lewis Hamilton were to drive it he could get so much more out of that machine it could be so much more efficient and it could kind of reach its maximum capacity even if it was just a standard kind of runaround car and what you're describing as as care as the air conditioning experts with all this data at your fingertips and the experience and the investment that you put into making these systems means that you can make much more efficient systems, yeah, and, and I, right? And I think when it comes to, to operating these systems, the differences are that stark, which is if you invest the time and the money into running these systems better, you can get huge, huge increases in terms of you know efficiency and sustainability. So as an example, most people would assume that when you build a building, over the life cycle of the building, it deteriorates and you sort of the efficiencies or productivity within that building and those systems decrease over time. But if you take the, the driving example, Lewis Hamilton gets faster the more he drives. His car gets better the more he drives. And so we have the exact same mm. requirement here, which is, okay, we've, we ran it in a particular way today and we ran our portfolio across Southeast Asia in this particular way. Tomorrow, we want to run it faster or better. It's just it's very simple change in mindset, which comes from the business model. And I think that's the biggest thing that we try and, and talk to people about is that it's not that the engineering is different. It's not that the technology in terms of the equipment we're using is different. It's just that we're bought into a, a very different mindset because of the business model. And by doing that, it's really software, data, and that kind of passion to drive it faster that makes a huge, huge impact. And I think it, it's not just an impact in terms of efficiency. You know, a lot of people talk about that when, when we talk about circular economy and sustainability, but also in terms of delivering an experience to your customers. So we have data throughout buildings which can tell you exactly what the conditions are in very precise terms at every minute of every day across our portfolio. When you can access that kind of data, it allows you to deliver a consistent experience when there are so many dynamic kind of changes going on in the environment or, or in the building itself in terms of people coming in and out, et cetera. But you can manage it to deliver that experience 24 hours a day at any point in time, all the time, which is, I, I think, a, why some of our customers in the mission critical space gravitate towards the model mm -hmm. as well. So when you say the passion to drive it faster, to keep getting better at this, in real terms, that's referring to like research and development right so presumably there's a huge amount of the business actually focusing on on that yeah and i think if you were to ask me that question maybe five or six years ago i would say that our passion and interest in running system is what differentiated us and that you know that was true then and it's true now and that we genuinely are interested in in how we can run systems better but i think we're also i think learning that we are only human and when it comes to running complex systems with multiple components, all of which affect each other, we don't have the ego that says we're better than the machines. And I think it became very apparent that this is a, an industry which requires artificial intelligence. And, it, and we've shown that. So we, because we have a portfolio of buildings now, it essentially justified us investing in technology. So I think, you know, I think that's another great thing about servitization is if in the old world, if you're selling project by project or construction project by construction project, it really doesn't justify investing huge amounts of money in artificial intelligence and software development because each 
individual project can't justify it. If you're running 10 million square feet of space across a Southeast Asia and expanding into India, it kind of justifies in investing in this stuff. So we, we built a, an artificial intelligence platform called Bricks. I think it was 2015 or 2016 we launched it that can basically be applied across our entire portfolio so that all of our buildings are learning from each other and operating autonomously. And I think, you know, the, the analogy we use is it's kind of like the autonomous electric vehicles. You know, when they come into play around the world, it's going to have a huge impact on customer experience, but also cost to deliver a service. So we have a, you know, a fleet of self-driving buildings around Southeast Asia mm-hmm. that are constantly learning from each other because, yeah, I think you know, there's just too much data for us to be able to analyze on our own. Mm. The sort of the reason for that, this is, and going back to the theme that you've been emphasizing all the way through, the reason that that is, is possible is because of the business model. If you roll back 50 years or whatever, the building the machine once and selling it and then going and selling the next one would have been the business, right? That's what, that's the linear thing. That's what it is. And the only way to optimize that is to sell more things. <laughs> it's in direct competition, I guess, to the, to the needs of the customer in many ways. It's a sustainable disaster. And it doesn't open up opportunities like you've just described to create these really interesting, innovative, you know, as part of the business. Yeah, I think the way that we break it down at CARE is it's, it's a difference between business model innovation and business model disruption. A lot mm. of people will look at business model innovation and I think servitization is innovative because it drives a better customer experience. So that allows you to step change what you're doing and get incrementally better. However, once you've done that, you then have scale and scale is what unlocks business model disruption because that's what allows you to justify spending huge amounts of, of money and time and resources and focus onto technology and software that improves your customers' lives. And you see it if you look at any of the sort of case studies out there around software as a service. Music as a service is a really great one. It sort of shows, and actually transport as well. So, you know, the Ubers and Grabs of this world. If you see how they've improved our lives so far, I would say that's business model innovation. Now that the scale that they've got, and if I look at the, the car market as an example, you know, these guys are now responsible for the largest fleet of cars in human history, and they are investing millions and billions of dollars into autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles because that's going to allow them to provide better service level to their customers and reduce their cost. You think about a, a we use Grab here, I, I guess globally. Do you guys use Uber or do you guys use Lyft? I think are the other ones. Yeah, Uber is probably one of the most common ones here. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think when yeah, you Uber. so when you when you book a car, I imagine depending on where you are, about fifty percent of your cost is the driver. You know, these guys have come out and said everyone can be a, a taxi driver, and you know, in about two or three years' time, when they move to autonomous vehicles, they're going to say the exact opposite, which is <laughs> no one needs to be a taxi driver. It's really going to be a huge disruption, which I think they should look at. But if you, if you think about that, if you can reduce that amount of cost by so much and have a better level of service, it's extremely disruptive. And I, I think when you move to that business model innovation and then business model disruption, the old way of doing things just cannot compete. When was the last time you bought a piece of software that wasn't you know, as a service? I can't remember the last time I, I did that because it just could not compete with that level of disruption. Yeah. And I want to come back to the question of sort of unintended consequences that you were sort of starting to touch on there with Uber. But before doing that, just to go back a little bit in time. So you've, you've got this, as a business, you've started this journey of this new business model and uh, the mindset's changing and these opportunities are opening up. At the same time, 
then to the point where you're developing your AI platform to understand and optimize and create opportunities you just described. Is that, as a business, where you were kind of needing to learn a new set of skills as well as MindChef skills? You know, you're now looking at, well, we need to understand how to track this data even more, how we need to analyze it, how we need to display it. Uh, you know, there's the kind of the software and, 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 and everything related that's changing within the business. Was that a big shift? Was that a difficult process? Yeah, it was. It, w- it was a huge shift. So, I mean, we had been collecting data for 25 years, but we had been using it to inform our engineers and allow them to make better decisions. But we hadn't moved into the world of, you know, data scientists, analysts, and, and big data and artificial intelligence until 2015. And it is a completely different industry. So, you know, we had to bring, attract people who, you know, would otherwise be working at Google or, or Amazon or some of these other companies. And we have to attract and compete with Silicon Valley companies to bring them into air conditioning in Singapore, <laughs> which was, <laughs> can, be, can be difficult. But I think what was great about it is that these people that work in data science, they are industry agnostic almost because data is data. And I remember vividly a guy walked into our office and I wasn't aware that we were, were moving into this. And this kid walked into our office and he came in at sort of 10.30 in the morning when you're supposed to be in at 8.30. He had shorts on, he hadn't shaved, he had scruffy hair. And I remember saying to one of my colleagues, like, who is this guy? And they said, oh, that's, he used a different name. This is Brian who, who came into our office and he's going to be working on our, he's a data scientist and he's going to help us optimize our systems. And I said, okay, well, in that case, he should probably dress appropriately uh, come in on time and I'll go take him to some of our sites. Go, I'll show him what air conditioning is. And they said, no, he doesn't need to, to go. And I said, of course he needs to go. How is he, unless he's an air conditioning person, how is he going to possibly help us unless he understands our business? And they said, you don't understand. He doesn't need to understand our business. He needs to understand the data. And he helped us build this artificial intelligence program that we're using today. And it beats all of our efficiency metrics every day and he you know never looked at a chiller and so it was surprising how easy it was to bring this discipline into you know our more traditional air conditioning world which is is really heartening you just have to really jump in and and do it and, and realize the importance but i think the other thing around data is that in the past we had used data to run equipment better and i think although that's important for us as a business it wasn't important to our customers I mean, if I can run my business more efficiently, what's that got to do with my customers? Now, of course, I can give them a cheaper price if I can reduce my cost, but that's a very transactional benefit. And where we moved to about two or three years ago is saying, okay, how can we use this data to be more customer-centric and drive benefits for people in our spaces? And let me describe what we see as a potential future of, of this technology. So there is facial recognition and spatial recognition technology widely available. It is very easy to integrate these sorts of systems into air conditioning control systems. So as an example, if you scanned your face on your mobile phone and you said, I like it to be 22 degrees and I have asthma or I have a a breathing condition which requires a better air quality for me within my space, that technology is available. That can then feed into an air conditioning system which could know where you are in a building. So if we had facial recognition, or if we had other ways of finding where you are in a building, which there are many, then I can essentially deliver a customized service level to you in particular. So if you want 23 degrees, it gives you 23. If you want 26, because you like it to be a bit warmer, then you get 26. And this can all be done automatically without you having to change a thermostat or call up your building manager to say that you're too hot or too cold. 
You know, you could also have hierarchies where if I've got mm. six people in a, in a small meeting room, it takes an average of what they all wanted and then gives them the average. You could say there's a hierarchy that's the most senior person, whatever the boss put is the temperature or the conditions he wants, that's what he gets. You could also increase air changes or look at your filtration if there's someone in your building that has a breathing condition. You could overlay other data. So for example, there's you know, outdoor air quality. So overlay that data and how do you manage the amount of fresh air coming into a building? You could update that with, I mean, just as an example, we, we don't do this yet, but the technology is available that if you overlaid let's say, COVID prevalence across you know, your portfolio. And if there's more prevalence of, of COVID in a particular area, maybe you increase fresh air and reduce air circulation. Maybe you reduce the velocity of the air traveling in the space so you reduce transmission. Maybe you put in different air treatments. And it can all be adaptive depending on all these external factors. And so th that world I've just described to you is 100% possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, the technology is there today. It's not it's not sort of sci-fi. It's not 10 years in the future. It's available today. And it's just a question of how do you use data to give those benefits to your customers and those personalized environments and space conditions, which is, is I think, what we're excited about these days as opposed to running your equipment better. Mm. The um, story <laughs> you told about Brian, that was a great example of disruption, as you mentioned, you know, not just necessarily within the business model, but also kind of socially within business environment the whole different level of work that has to be done that kind of takes a different set of skills and experience and brings with it a whole different kind of culture so I think that's a really interesting part of this evolution of a business yeah, and, model and, and I think a lot of that comes from the values that we have of always improving so I, I think everyone at, at care has this culture of you yeah. know people talk about fail fast you know fail but fail fast I think one thing that we've done is we, we really have a culture mm -hmm. of trying new things. And so when someone comes in with a new idea or a new perspective or a totally new approach to something, the general consensus is, okay, well, we'll give that a go. As long as it's not going to affect our customers or, or affect negatively on the, the customer experience, we'll give it a go and try it. So I think that, that allowed us to, I think, sure. bring in more people with, with more points of view without them being hit by this legacy business and the way things are done and the way things have always been done and always will be done in the future. Hmm. Just to go back to the examples that you're mentioning of the ways in which this service can be personalized to customers and, and improving the customer experience, it does seem kind of surreal and like in another world to have these options at your fingertips. And I think with every introduction of such data use, there comes this question of privacy and the handling of the data and the storing of the data even. So, I mean, presumably that is maybe one of the, the hurdles that has to be overcome before this could be a real world scenario. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think that's one of the barriers or challenges that we'll have to address in order to realize that. And I think there is technology available where you can you know, overlay occupancy data on space data. So if you don't personalize, but you essentially run your systems better, depending on the number of people, then you still have a bit of rule of thumb. You know, you have to say generally mm. people like it to be 24 degrees or 23 degrees. So you can sort of, you can do that. But when it comes to, if you want a personalized environment, you will have to somehow tell the system your personal preferences. And so what, what we're doing at the moment is, you're right, not going into 
people giving their personal preferences because we haven't overcome those challenges yet. But we are treating a global community within a building as a singular entity. So one thing we have looked at is how do I run my systems for the sort of the global minimum of complaints, I'd call it, which is how do we make the most people happy as opposed to responding to individual people saying they're too hot or too cold. And if you use a data-driven approach to that, Actually, you can improve your complaints or your, your people that aren't comfortable by about 50% just by going to a data-based approach as opposed to a reactive approach. Mm. I suppose that's 50% fewer people who would say that they were uncomfortable. Yes. I'm intrigued, actually, just from a kind of social experiment perspective as to how that works out in terms of, you know, maybe people who are lower in the in the hierarchy of the company, if they're less willing to say, I'm uncomfortable in this temperature mm. or... Socially, I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah, and I think also it, it depends the feedback that you get. There's always a bias, especially in this part of the world, towards feedback around it being too hot versus too cold. So mm. if you look at the data generally, the complaints you get in a building are 50% of people are too hot, 50% of people are too cold. And most people would say, well, okay, that's that's a pretty good mix, right? I mean, you're, you're, you've got the right set point if that's the case. But mm-hmm. actually, if people are too cold, it's very easy for them to put on a jacket or a cardigan. If people are too hot, there's nothing they can do. So they yeah. would are more likely to complain if they're warmer. So actually, although you think you're in the right zone and it's 50% too hot and 50% too cold, if you dive a bit deeper into people's behavior, actually you'll find there are more people that are cold than there are people that are hot. They're just not complaining. Mm. And so what that means is there's a real opportunity to give a better customer experience and also the sustainability impact of increasing your temperature is available as well. So you can, at the moment, we're overcooling people, which is spending more energy and giving them a, a rubbish user experience or customer experience. Because mm. you, you've got to sort of dive yeah. in that next layer of the data and sort of see if there's any biases within it. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, there's differences along kind of lines, as you mentioned, regional lines in terms of which part of the world you're in and along gender lines, I imagine, in terms of preferences of heat or cold or just generally the clothes that you're wearing. There's all sorts of kind of different factors that come into play with personalizing or or generalizing the environment of air conditioning. Who would have thought that air conditioning is such a fascinating topic? So on that point, it was fascinating. So we, or fascinating for me, I guess. So we did an analysis of every complaint we got across our portfolio. And actually, Mm. if you look at the data, one of the most contributing factors to whether you're going to get a complaint Oddly, is nothing to do with temperature. It's to do with time of day. So if you have a constant temperature throughout your building, which generally you would set at, let's say, 24 degrees, at about 7 or 8 a.m. when people are coming in, that's usually when they feel warm. Then at about 11 or 12, just before lunch, is generally where they get cold. And that's probably because they've been sat at their desk for a while, not moving too much. And then at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, when they come back from lunch and they've been out in the hot weather and they're coming back and they've been moving around, they then generally get hot again. So it's actually time of day, which is a better indicator of complaints than than temperature or humidity or any other sort of IAQ parameter you measure. It's really interesting to me that, I like the point you were making there, Emily, the conversation about air conditioning is at this level, you know, it's about the people and the and what temperature people like and measuring that rather than <laughs> rather than how efficient is our cooling? Where should we put our extraction fans rather than fairly old school? I think yeah. that's really fascinating. The other thing, Dave, that you mentioned that I wanted to pick up on was the sustainability metrics. Is that something that 
the business included in this data and this analysis and this decision making? Where does that that kind of measurement fit in? So, I mean, a lot of companies are seeing sustainability as sort of a key impact driver for their business. And I think it's becoming more important for their customers and also their their employees and their team members. And I think as time goes on, sustainability will only become more important. And so what people are doing is they're starting sustainability divisions or other departments which look at sustainability. And they report on it, which is great, and they, they create more awareness around it. But generally, it's seen as almost a side interest, which is a requirement as opposed to being baked into their business model. And what we said is, okay, if you're looking at a metric of sustainability, what are you using? Are you using reduction of carbon emissions? Are you using reduction of energy consumption? What's your your metric? And if you look at servitization, so kind of what we talked about a little bit at the beginning where you the burden of being efficient is on the service provider as opposed to the, the customer, it means that the metric of sustainability is profit. Because the more efficiently you can run your systems, which has a great impact on sustainability, the lower your costs are. So essentially what you're doing is you're baking sustainability into the model. So in some old world and or some old version of our company, we would have a someone who looked after the performance of our systems. He would report into the engineering team. Now the people that run the performance of our systems report into the CFO and the CEO because they have a huge impact on, on the profitability of our, of our business. And I think that's a great thing is that if you can bake it in, it means that it won't be a, a passing fancy. It means that it won't improve and, and wane over time. It'll be sustainable sustainability, I guess, because it, it drives your business. And, and there was a great quote, you know, there was on another, another webinar and there's another guy who was talking about if you do things because it's, you're trying to be charitable because you think it's a good thing to do, then you have some days when you do it really well and some days when you focus on your business. If you can bake it into your business, it means every day you go into work. That's your key parameter is your core business. And if sustainability is part of that, it means it never goes away. Mm. Yeah, sustainability as a core business objective is really important to making it sustainable. As yeah, you said. Exactly. yeah that, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think what's interesting about air conditioning specifically, another thing that's interesting about air conditioning, as you've mentioned, this business model is aiming at the kind of mitigation of negative climate impacts. Um, but obviously, air conditioning is also involved in adaptation. You know, there's parts of the world that are heating up really rapidly. And also in those parts of the world, um, the economy is changing in a way that more people are kind of working in office buildings. And, you know, there's a lot of really rapid development happening in those parts of the world. How is the industry changing in that way in terms of this changing climate that we're in? It's a great question because a lot of people will ask us, you know, how are we, how do you weigh this up that, you know, you're a sustainable business, but at the same time, your energy consumption is massive. You know, the more people that require mm -hmm. air conditioning, the more energy that you're using. So on one hand, you're giving comfort, but on the other hand, you're using huge amounts of resources. And I think, you know, there are some trains of thought that says, well, let's, Let's maybe mitigate those negative impacts by not having so much air conditioning. And I think asking people to compromise their lifestyle or quality of life or productivity of business for an environmental impact is noble, but is not sustainable. As in, you're not going to have most people signing up to that on most businesses. If you can say to people, you can use more air conditioning and you can have it in a sustainable way, that's a much more sort of 
appealing message for us. And so we've actually looked at, and we've done this in, to give you an example of a, a business park that we did in India. And this business park is adding huge amounts of jobs to the area. It's, they house a, a corporate office. There's an education block. There's automotive factory. There is a engineering company, which makes lighting and, and control systems for the automotive industry. So it's a huge business park in Pune in India. And that's great, but they all require air conditioning and they have servers and stuff that's, so they need quite a lot of air conditioning. And we said, well, what if we, if we did our model and we, we did air conditioning as a service? And what if we daisy chain that with water and, and solar energy as a service? So buying solar as a service is pretty popular now. So we actually daisy chained the as a service business model for our resources. And we used our technology and our software to reduce our energy consumption as much as we can. And actually what we managed to do was the electricity and the water that is captured on site through solar panels and water capture is actually net positive when it comes to running our air conditioning system. So we actually produce more energy on site through solar panels than we can use, and we can sell that back into the grid. If you look at that business park, it is 100% net positive in terms of air conditioning. So if you ask yourself, okay, well, is there a negative impact which you're mitigating? Well, if you put this business model in and you really use the power of this business model, you can have a positive impact. So you can have more air conditioning and use actually give energy back to the, <laughs> the global supply chain than you're using. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the world is quickly becoming too hot for humans, really. So I feel like air conditioning is a must. It's one of those things that we have to learn how to do better rather than to do less. And that sounds like that's exactly the mindset that care is running with. So, Yeah, and I think there's two sides to this coin, right? One is you need to, the only reason energy efficiency is important is because the energy that we get is terrible for the environment. So that's all burning fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. If you use solar energy and everything is run off solar, then you can use as much as you like because it doesn't yeah. have a negative impact. So I think the two sides of the coin is we have the responsibility as vendors in the, in the built environment to reduce the energy consumption as much as possible. And then we also have the responsibility to outsource to renewable energy sources to use within, within our systems. And if you can marry those two things, if we can bring down the energy consumption, if other vendors can bring up the renewable component, as soon as you get parity on those two things, then you've got a, you know, a net zero system. And I think we just need to get there as quickly as possible because we're, you know, as you see in the news, we're running out of time pretty quickly. Yeah. So I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. As so often in the season, we get some really interesting conversations and we barely scratch the surface. We get to some interesting things, um, but we run out of time. So there's so much there that's just amazing. But there is one thing that I would like to, one final question I'd like to put to you. And I guess is, and I guess that is, why are you talking about this publicly? Why is this, the business model and the concept, a story worth you sharing? So... I often get asked that, which is, if this is your secret source, if this is your IP, why are you, why are you sharing it with everybody? And I think the realization we had at CARE was that this is not secret source and it wasn't our idea. It wasn't an original idea. If you look at the idea of servitization, we stole it from Spotify and Netflix and Amazon Web Services. You know, everyone is using this idea to disrupt their industry. So we just looked across and said, why don't we do the same thing? And so it's, it's a really powerful business model that we believe in. And I think when it comes to making a significant impact and achieving some of these things that we've been talking about in terms of customer experience and, and sustainability and the circular economy, 
the more people that do it, the better. We don't only want more people buying air conditioning as a service. We want more people offering products as a service because we want to use those services and, and not buy products. So, you know, we're a huge advocate for the business model. You know, we run all of our data is in cloud-based services. We try and buy solar as a service as much as possible. Even office furniture and equipment, we're seeing how can we servitize that and buy that as a service. And we just feel that it aligns the, the sort of priorities of the vendor and the customer so well. And then the side benefit is the sustainability in the circular economy. So we, we kind of just believe in the business model. And, and we don't think it's IP because it's not our idea. We stole it as well. In fact, the first example we found of servitization was, I think it was 1906 in the US. And it's a story we tell around GW Maxwell, I believe his name was. So you can all Google it now and see if I was right. And he invented the milk carton. And he said to Americans, I think it was in San Francisco, he said, you don't need to own cows anymore. You can just buy milk. Uh, and that is servitization. You know, don't own the cow, just drink the milk. So we stole it from him. So I think it's only fair that we try and share it as much as possible. And to such an extent, actually, that our, our vision as a, as a company, as a business, is actually to make air conditioning as a service the model of choice. It's not about us in particular. It's about that business model and the impact that it has on, on our industry. Mm. Outstanding. That's another thing that I think is amazing. And as an inspiration, as a sort of purpose above and beyond all the other things we've talked about as well. I think that's another really inspiring thread to the story that you're sharing. And I think if there was, there's one last thing I would say is that there's nothing in this world that cannot be servitized. And if we can servitize air conditioning, you know, these huge, massive pieces of equipment and systems within buildings, then you can servitize anything. And there's nothing that's off limits. I always encourage if you are a consumer of any products, demand that it be servitized and try and buy it as a service. And if you are a, pro a producer of products, servitize it immediately. <laughs> Otherwise, somebody will uh, and you will go out of business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That sounds like a challenge for everyone out there who's offering a product. <laughs> Offer it as a service. Thrown down the yeah, Absolutely. So thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Just finally, for anybody who wants to find out more about the things we've talked about and more about CARE, where should they go? You can jump on to www.kaer.com, so care.com, or follow us on LinkedIn, actually, which is a, a great way to see some of the things that we're doing in terms of our software, our artificial intelligence, and our portfolio. Yeah, well, yeah, get in touch. Wonderful. Thanks again. As usual, we'll put those links on happyporchradio.com and the episode show notes. Thanks again, Dave. Appreciate your time. All right, cheers, Barry. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. You can find notes and links from this episode, plus a full transcript at happyporchradio.com. If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a positive review on your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Happy Porch Radio. Happy Porch Radio.